You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. It's no reason to become alarmed, and we hope you enjoy the rest of your flight. By the way, is there anyone on board who knows how to fly a plane? Welcome to Avoiding Real Estate Turbulence Podcast. This is your pilot, John Lafferty, with Century 21 Town & Country. And your co-pilot, Tony Abate with Ross Mortgage. And we are your real estate pilots. Our job is to be your real estate advocate and also make sure you're educated about the buying and selling process. We'll keep you informed throughout until we get you safely to closed. In a real estate transaction, there are many reasons why you can encounter turbulence. Today, we are going to talk with Scott Whitfield, who's the owner of Wolverine Custom Golf. Scott is a local golf and equipment pro who has embraced technology and change in the sport, which has created some turbulence at both the national and local levels. And he's here to talk with us about that and how they sort of intertwine with real estate. Welcome, Scott. Thank you guys very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. All right. So, Scott, <clears throat> talk a little bit about, about your your business and, um, and and what you do for golfers and people starting out in in the prof- uh, the sport itself. Really, well, like you said, I own uh, Wolverine Custom Golf um, in Bingham Farms, Michigan. I am a golf club equipment. Uh, uh, builder and fitter and do any any custom work uh, for like a club repair for regrips, reshafts, uh, all the way up to building custom golf sets for individuals. I work with people of all skill levels from the beginner to top level amateurs uh, to really help the them improve their golf game and help grow the game of golf in a positive way for everybody to enjoy a great game, to be more active, be more social, and just be out in the sun and have fun playing a great, great game. You and I were talking before about the uh, sort of the intersection of how golf in itself really hit a rough patch in around 2005, really a couple years before the housing market and the, and the Great Recession. And, and that was really interesting to me. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that um, and, and why you think it happened and where you think we are now. Um, well, during the 1990s uh, and early 2000s, we in this country were very fortunate to have a lot of economic success and with some of the greats just pre-Tiger of people like Greg Norman, uh, Jack Nicklaus and Arnold Palmer were still very relevant at that time and then come 1997 we had the introduction to uh, Tiger Woods which really created in probably a 15 year uh, roughly period of time of Golf course development, golf courses throughout the whole country were just being built up uh, from a golf, a phenomenal golf course like uh, Kiowa Island that opened up in about 89-90 through many great golf courses uh, today. But there was just an, an economic boom, and uh, with Tiger Woods – 
making the game so interesting, so 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 much enthusiasm to be around the game that golf courses were being built right and left and not being thought of in how can we sustain a positive uh, growth at this exceptional rate. And come right about 2005, there was an economic, there was an oversaturation of golf courses throughout the, this country. And many developments uh, stopped or either had to close and or that they were beginning to close in roughly 2005, that they just were not sustainable. Golf maybe had an elitist um, aspect, which I don't necessarily think that the golf, game of golf is, but it can be perceived that way. But uh, it just became too expensive, too much, too long of rounds. Um, many amateurs thinking that they had to emulate their favorite golfers and just taking too much time potentially away from families and other activities. And people started looking elsewhere for to spend their recreational dollar. And the golf industry took took a hit of, and I think that uh, probably about nine ten percent of golf courses closed in a very short period of time. It's a big number. Yeah. It is. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, as a golf industry, a little bit before I got in there, had to reevaluate how to bring people back into this game. And I think that over the last eight, nine years with many young individuals, Jordan Spieth, Rory McIlroy, Dustin Johnson, Brooks Kepka have really helped uh, Ricky Fowler have really helped re-enthuse much of the, the American people into the game. And um, I think a few people like Lexi Thompson, uh, Lorraine Ochoa, Annika Sorenstam, Stam, uh, who are women golfers, really deserve a lot of credit too to bringing young females into the game too. So I think that the game of golf has gotten to be in a very, very good place today. Uh, even, through, even though that we went through troubles many years ago, so he brings up an interesting point, Tony. Yeah, and that's this. You've been doing loans for a long time, so I'm curious what you have seen along the way when people are buying properties or houses mm-hmm. on a golf course. At some point, probably back in the heyday, those courses were given or assigned a certain value for maybe where they were located on a golf course. Sure. And maybe at what point did you start to see that? Well, maybe that ten thousand dollar bump for being on the golf course as opposed to being across the street, or whatever that might be, that adjustment. Maybe that yeah. adjustment isn't such uh, so generous, mm-hmm. um, or wasn't so generous, and maybe we're we're back at a point where it it, it exists again. So I'm just curious, from your perspective as a lender, mm-hmm. what did you see as we sort of came into the recession and came out the other side? Yeah, yeah. Well, we definitely seen a change for sure. And uh, there was a window of time when, you know, not only were those lots premium lots, they were really, really premium lots. 
and uh, and then you know there, there's still there's still draw you know that that are going to attract a certain number of buyers. Um, it just seems like the demand is a little less, and that that's that's totally anecdotal. I don't have any numbers to support that, but um, you know, it, it, like like anything that involves the cost of land, um, you know, there's the, the cost of land is going up. Uh, so it costs a lot of money for a developer to get that parcel. You know, he's not going to put an 1,800-square-foot modest home uh, adjacent to that golf course. He's going to put as much home as he possibly can and, uh, and, and flash it up so he can, he can get some, some profit out of it. Uh, I, I, haven't, I haven't really seen appraisal problems, uh, not that it doesn't exist, but appraisal problems in that a person bought a home on a golf course maybe 15 years ago, uh, you know, just before the, the, the crash like what you're talking about um, and, and is now feeling pain because uh, the demand isn't maybe what it was. It does seem like there's still some demand, but there's there just seems to be writing on the wall uh, from what I can tell that that less people are prepared to pay that high premium on the golf course. So. Yeah. Do you notice anything from the real estate uh, or mortgage side, uh, be it a living on a private golf course versus a living on a public golf course? Do you notice uh, much of a difference in that? Well, uh, in that, and this kind of goes back to what we were talking about before the show, like yeah. some of the some of the metro courses. Um, you know, the private ones are certainly going to have a, a a higher dollar figure associated to it, more exclusivity, uh, and more gated communities are, are going to be surrounding those kind of things. And uh, and and I think when you get into a home of that level, uh, whether it's on a golf course or not, you know, you're you're going to have a segment of the buyer uh, population that just wants that kind of thing. Um, I'm not so sure that the market changes are specifically tied to um, uh, golf courses themselves. But, you know, we went through a period of time, you know, you remember the term McMansions, you know, yes. where they're building subdivisions. Yes. Everything was 3,500 square feet and up. And then uh, and then there was one where, where a lot of folks were saying, you know, maybe we just don't need that. Um, and I, I think that's more of like a consumer sentiment thing uh, as opposed to being driven about whether that, that McMansion was on a golf course or not. I think it's this overall perception of what people want or, or not want. Um, so uh, I, it, it seems like we're seeing, uh, I think this goes back to what you were saying, Scott, just less pure brand new development that is tied to a golf course than, than there was in years past. Right. Yeah, that's – it's interesting um, and you have certain communities that are built out mm -hmm. that have these municipal golf courses that if they're failing, which a lot of them uh, tend yeah. to do, um, it's an opportunity to possibly use that land for a higher purpose right. to build homes, mm -hmm. uh, maybe apartments uh, on them. Um, you know, we just saw something like that with Normandy Oaks and Royal Oak, mm -hmm. yeah, where they uh, are building homes uh, on that property. Uh, I believe they set aside about two thirds of it for parks and other things. Mm -hmm. But um, it, it's an interesting uh, it's an interesting thing to see um, these public municipal golf courses going by the wayside yeah. and. And you can kind of see why, right, Scott? Because right. Yes. a lot of these municipal courses were – they served a purpose. They were just 9 or 18 holes of straight fairways, not very challenging greens, maybe a few hazards. So I think – and maybe, Scott, you can chime in on this – where we're at now with, with golf courses and 
houses, right, Mm -hmm. is – People want things that are aesthetically pleasing, things that um, that look nice mm-hmm. and feel nice, and 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 I don't think that um, a golf course is any different now. Um, people like challenging, but if if I'm playing a course and I'm going to shoot a sixty, um, then. Gosh, wouldn't it be great to be playing on the bluffs overlooking Lake Michigan and, and playing on a course that's killing me and I'm losing balls all over the place? But yeah. man, what a beautiful course! Mm-hmm. And, and I think there's a there's a there's a correlation there. Yeah, there definitely is a, a great correlation between people wanting to go out on a golf course and and be challenged that they like what they see. It suits their eye. It's just like a home. You want that golf course to look good to your eye. Unfortunately, for generally speaking, many municipal run golf courses, the municipalities don't have the money or the time or the energy to put funds back into what could be a great nine or 18 hole golf course, but they just don't have the money to do, do so, which is disappointing from my perspective because I've seen many great municipal golf courses, but they just don't have the funds to compete. And at least in our local market, uh, with Detroit being not necessarily a destination that people want to travel to, um, an older city, many of the great golf courses around here are private private facilities yeah. on which is can be a good or a bad thing from someone's perspective but if you're going to play a golf course people want to play bloomfield hills they want to play oakland hills they want to go to orchard lake birmingham red run all of these phenomenal golf courses where normandy oaks now struggles yeah. uh so and you've got Great golf course such as uh, uh, Oakland University that is open to the public. That is a fantastic challenge to golfers. People would rather possibly go there than Normandy Oaks or something like that. So it's Sunnybrook, <laughs> Maple Lane. Yeah, yeah. There's which now causes many uh, challenges for the public golf courses and. Not just the De- metro Detroit area, but even cities, big cities uh, like Detroit, Chicago, New York, um, Cleveland, kind of the colder weather areas where they are predominantly private facilities. So yeah. it's it's a challenge for golf courses and with many people that might know other people, it it's not necessarily easy to get onto a public or a private facility. You, it's a privilege to get get invited to play there, but it's easier to than what some people might think to have the those opportunities presented to themselves. So, you know, I think part of it too is is a land cost issue. You mm-hmm. know, a golf course takes up a lot of land. Needless to say, that's how it works. And if you're the developer. Uh, and you want to build that course and then either turn around and sell it or, or monetize it in some fashion, 
you're thinking, well, I could build a course where I'm going to charge $30 a round, or I could build a course where I'm going to charge $100 a round. Well, you know, clearly that, that more expensive course is going to be the, the, the better return. And that's unfortunate. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not a golfer anymore like you two are, but you know, as a kid, it was kind of a nice thing to be able to afford golf uh, when you're, you know, just working part-time jobs or whatever. It's harder now. You know, um, I don't think a, you know a kid's gonna gonna break out on the weekend and go play Greystone or something like that, where they're gonna <laughs> pay a big big chunk of money. But I think it's hard to build out that whole course and then build it in such a way where you can afford to charge a modest uh, green. Uh, what do you, what do you call it when you pay for golf? Green fees. Green, green fees. fees. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, and interestingly enough, um, you bring up a very good point. These these courses that were built in the last twenty years, let's say the Orchards, Greystone, Cherry Creek, West Wind, some of these courses that are further north, um, they built a big clubhouse with the foresight of. We can have weddings here. We can have banquets here. We can do this. We we have another source to make money in our downtime in the dead of winter right. when nothing else is happening. And in the summer, it just makes sense. They've got parties in the evenings or, or even during the day, and they've got golf going on at the same time. So it, it mm-hmm. it's yeah. interesting how they you know the, the model changed because there's a golf course I grew up playing out in Macomb Township. And the clubhouse was basically a ranch style home with a kitchen in it, <laughs> and uh, you know a bunch yeah. of old tables. Yeah. But uh, but at the time, I don't think they had a foresight that we can actually build a really nice clubhouse and make money on it, and have the bride and groom get married on the 18th green or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that was an interesting embrace of other sources to make money. Right, uh, private. Or- both private and uh, public golf courses over the last number of years have had to focus on how to di- diversify how they bring in uh, people to their golf course. It's not just golf anymore. Sometimes, uh, like at Westwind up at uh, in Rochester, uh, they have a pool there. Right, having the swimming and the, tennis courts and too, tennis don't courts they? having. Yeah. Those different activities that are now more inclusive to more families, that that is going to hopefully bring in more business. Um, golf will always be their number one priority because that is their bread and butter. Food and beverage are going to be lucky if you break even. That would be a good year. But now it's going to be banquets banquets, uh, other activities. Um, Memberships to the pool, memberships to use the tennis club. Yes. Um, Yeah, extra extra sources to to make money. Um, We're we're running out of time, and I wanted to make sure that we talked about – Technology, okay, and and in te- in Tony, you and I have certainly witnessed over the last fifteen years, really. I mean, you you could go back to the late nineties and start with the internet mm-hmm. and the MLS being on the internet and being able to look up records. We could start there and say that was a big shift in our industry yeah. of how people bought and sold real estate and all the changes that have taken place. Over that time period with the introduction of 
portals and websites for buyers to go to and sellers to be able to use mm-hmm. um, and and people doing things on their phone now and having apps. And so technology has really changed real estate and and lending. And, yeah. and I think it's what it's done is it's given more access to people to find information and, and, and help them. But in the end, they still rely on a professional, and I and I think yes. it's the same in your industry as well. Um, golfers have all these tools of technology at their disposal, but if they don't know how to use them, if they if they're not educated on things, then they're useless, Correct. right? And so. Talk a little bit about technology and golf and how it's changed um, and and how you embrace it to help your clients uh, and, and customers um, move forward and use it uh, the right way. One of the uh, – there's been a few aspects of the game of golf that have been um, uh, huge for golf. One of the biggest was uh, – Two brothers, I believe they were uh, in Denmark, uh, were betting against each other on who, how far one hit a ball to to a green, how close was one. And these, both of these brothers were were and are phenomenally bright and intelligent. Uh, I believe in uh, the computer science fields, and they. Both ended up uh, sitting down and creating TrackMan, um, which is a ball flight simulator. Which, as a fitter, for fitters like myself, for teachers, it uh, shoots us back. Uh, or after a player hits a golf ball, it gives us twenty-eight different data points on club path, how a person swinging a golf club, and what that b- golf ball is doing. That has been revolutionary in the golf game. So we, we now know how far people are hitting the ball in club head speed, ball speed, spin rates, uh, tilt of the axis of the of the golf ball, mm-hmm. and which now is correlated into club head technology, which has really grown over the last uh, twenty years, and especially you'll notice a huge. Uh, uh, growth in sh- uh, golf shaft technology, especially graphite shaft. Twenty years, twenty years ago, Tiger Woods uh, won his first Masters playing a steel shafted driver, which is unheard of today. And to, with the amount of technology that is going into shaft manufacture manufacturing. It is basically as quick as computers are are being redeveloped and re technology and for the computer sciences is basically the same kind of technology speed that we are seeing in golf with how a graphite shaft is being made to be a top level performance, and even for many of the steel shafts. To get a lighter uh, steel shaft that is still a very sturdy component that can take good amount of load that a golfer will deliver upon the club head 
and just uh, the being able to thin out faces of the uh, irons and driver faces so that they are more of a trampoline effect and being able to create more of an explosion to hit the golf ball further. So uh, with Fujikura, uh, I think that they, with their Enzo system, which is kind of like a track man on steroids, they're, all of their technology that they that Fujikura has done is has blown me out of the water. When I saw their facilities about a year ago, they are top of the line and seeing multiple tour winners this last, I think, two of the last three or four weeks. Someone's played a Fujikura shaft in their uh, fairway woods or driver. They're just uh, so many companies are excelling at such a rapid pace and it's so good to see uh, golfers improve that way where do you where do you think this technology is going um, because in real estate there's arguments out there that with all the technology that's happening the real estate agent is just going to wither away <laughs> and and won't be needed anymore which I obviously disagree with because people will always need advice and education on buying and selling homes and will always need an expert to talk to with regards to lending. Even if they automate the entire process, you still no two buyers are ever alike. Their credit is never the same. Their income, their circumstances – all of that that you take into account when doing a loan Mm -hmm. and the same thing with with buying homes. So – from your perspective, where's technology going? Is is it going to get to a point where they don't need a guy like you anymore? They can buy clubs online and, and they don't need to get fitted for them anymore? Or do you see your value as being even more important on how to harness this technology and what works for one golfer may not work for another? There will always there will always be a need for a real estate agent. There will always be a need for – I like that. I like that. Bring him back. <laughs> there, there's always going to be a need for a club fitter, mm-hmm. a uh, club uh, pro, a teaching pro. There is always going to be a need for these individuals because there is such a saturation of so much out there on the market that people will don't have time to understand everything. And they will just buy what was on the rack or that they will just buy what their favorite golfer is playing. Mm. And that is a mistake because every golfer is different. They have their own fingerprint and what fits them best will not fit somebody else the best. Mm. If you're 6'2", 180 pounds or six six foot 300 pounds, you're going to have a different swing. It's yeah. it's just going to be different. You need professionals to to help guide guide every golfer into what is the best for their golf games. So bad idea for me to use John's clubs. Probably. (laughs) Probably. Before we go, hey, talk real quick about Adele's and their unique proposition to the market that they offer. Yes. uh, David Adele, uh, who is the creator of Adele Golf, who's been in the industry for many, many years, uh, 
with Bryson DeChambeau a few years ago, uh, had the single length irons. And over the last about two years or so ago now, Adele introduced the single length irons uh, into the market. After about three, four years of R&D to find the right style of head, right weighting of heads, and the most important aspect is uh, golf shaft. To find the right fit that's going to uh, fit a majority of golfers, and it is a, it is something that every golfer can definitely improve their golf games with. It, for beginners, it's an easy way to start to learn. For the golfer that might be, has been playing variable length clubs for many years, maybe their game is starting to wane a little bit. Single length will help. Jeez, I think he's talking about. Yeah. <laughs> you seen me play? Huh? <laughs> he has. Uh, single length is uh, can sustain their golf games for a longer period of time. And an interesting part of what David Adele has done is that for their complete sets, for their single length, their uh, the shafts are made in three separate categories, a long iron profile, a mid iron profile, and a short iron profile, which helps give the golf club different kick points, different ball flight, uh, and it'll help that golfers hit those shots longer because their four iron that they might be used to playing is now going to be shorter. You need to get the kind of height and length to match up what you're used to Versus something that is now shorter and taking an iron or a wedge and now making that longer, uh, like a nine iron making it to 37, 37 and a half inches. So question, I, yeah. I think we got about a minute left before we got to go. Um, are you playing the ball in your stance in the same exact spot no matter what iron in an Adele uh, bag you're playing? It, and everything is the same. Everything is the same. Wow. Four iron through your lowest, uh, your longest iron to your shortest iron. It's all the same. So interestingly enough, if if you're playing, uh, let's say that you determine that for somebody like me, the mid range length is the best length for me, and I normally play those, you know, the six, the five, the seven. Those are right near the middle of my stance. So, is that where I'm going to play then every? Every your, iron in my bag. Your four iron will be the same as your pitching wire. That's wow. really cool. Yeah. It, it really simplified. Um, I, you know, we could talk more about yes. it. I know we're running out of time. But I, I wanted to uh, thank you for coming by. Uh, this, again, our, our guest was Scott Whitfield from Wolverine Custom Golf. Um, thanks for coming by and sharing your knowledge and expertise. If, if people want to get in touch with you, Scott, how do they reach you? They can uh, reach me. They can visit my website, uh, wolverinecustomgolf.com. That would be the easiest way they do. All my contact information is on the website. Uh, you can shoot me an email and, or give me a call via my website. Uh, my cell phone or my contact information is uh, 248-312-8256. And I'll be more than happy to answer anyone's questions regarding what you are currently playing and what else is out there on the market. I would love to have a conversation with you guys to yeah. help your games. Yeah. Great. 
That's great, Scott. Hey, thanks so much. You're inspiring me to get back into the game. Thank you. Uh, Hey, thanks for listening to Avoiding Real Estate Turbulence. If you'd be so kind to subscribe, review, rate, re-appreciate it. Please share with your family, friends, and coworkers that they too can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify.